we're here again. Michigan is collectively grieving as more of our children face mass gun violence and death at school, this time at Michigan State University. Uh, tragic series of events that have occurred here this evening. I, I didn't like necessarily believe that it was gunshots because why would there be gunshots in the union? We mourn the loss of beautiful souls today and pray for those who are continuing to fight for their lives. Today, what we know so far about the mass shooting at Michigan State University. And we'll speak with two students who were on campus about what happened. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Let's start things off with the details from last night. About 8.15 p.m., a gunman walked into Berkey Hall. It's an academic building on MSU's north edge of campus and opened fire. We know he proceeded to the student union nearby and began shooting. Three students have been reported dead, and five more are in critical condition at Sparrow Hospital. Joining me now is Emily Lawler, politics editor with the Detroit Free Press and also Colin Jackson with the Michigan Public Radio Network, and they've been following the story. Emily, Colin, hi. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Emily, I know that you're familiar with the layout of MSU. Uh, can you just explain what these places are for those who don't know campus? Yeah, so Michigan State University, there's basically one boulevard separating um, campus from the town of East Lansing. Um, So, you know, on one side of the street, you've got the Union, you've got Berkey Hall, you've got the Human Ecology Building, um, and then you cross cross Grand River. And on the other side of the street, you've got um, businesses, the Targets there, um, Landshark. I talked to the owner of the Jamba Juice uh, slash Auntie Annie's. So, Um, You know, people were sheltering in place um, on campus, but also off campus. And, um, you know, we later learned that the uh, shooter had sort of gone off that that northern border um, of campus and, and, you know, ended up being uh, apprehended in the the city of Lansing. So, you know, that area of campus is pretty busy. Both Berkey and the Union are um, open buildings. There's, you know, classes and meetings that take place. Um, so you don't need to scan in like you would to a residence hall. Emily, do you have you learned anything about how the the events across these two buildings and into the city unfolded? You know, sort of the the choreography and the timeline. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we said that we know that it started um, in Berkey Hall. I think at eight eighteen p.m. Um, and and then proceeded to the union from there um, uh, by a little after eight thirty. Um, PM, which is a, a pretty tight timeline, the police had notified the community and asked everyone to um, shelter in place. So certainly across campus, which is geographically very large, I think it's around three square miles. I certainly had um, classes that, uh, you know, as a student took uh, 30 or 40 minutes to walk to if they were on the other end of campus. Um, and so really people were were sheltering in place, not only on campus, but also in the community nearby in residential areas too. So uh, it was a pretty quick turnaround uh, for law enforcement and also just a, a huge, huge response. I was seeing vehicles from Oakland County Police, uh, Genesee County, every federal agency that I could think of, um, as well as the the ones you'd expect from Ingham County, Lansing, East Lansing, and surrounding areas. At some point, the shooter 
did leave the campus. Colin, have police had anything to say about that or, uh, you know, whether he was whether he was observed as he left? Police did not. What we heard before the 11 o'clock press conference last night, shortly before they were able to identify or before they released a photo of the shooter, they said the last they had seen him was leaving the MSU Student Union, going just north of campus. Earlier today, I asked if we know how the shooter got to Lansing, um, where he was found dead of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, They were not releasing that information. What we do know is after releasing that photo, they're saying that was vital in tracking down the shooter and making contact with him. So the police say that they did have some contact with him before he took his own life? They're saying they were able to make contact with him, but they're not divulging information as to the nature of that contact. Colin, Emily, have either of you heard anything about whether the shooter knew these young people or or had any connection with the campus? It really seems like not. Um, You know, the initial information from um, the authorities was that he was a 43-year-old man um, unconnected to the university, as as far as anyone could tell. So, you know, the two buildings um, that we know he entered were... um, not key card protected. Um, those were buildings that anyone could walk into. And it doesn't seem like at this point he had a connection to the campus community. I'm seeing reporting in the Detroit news that he was living in Lansing. Um, but that's as far as the connection to the area goes that I've seen. Certainly. This is uh, this is just an incredibly horrendous moment by anyone's measuring. But I think also, maybe for the community of East Lansing, which prides itself as being a you know a space a space that uh, where where students would not have to worry about something like this. Emily, what have you observed of how people on campus have been reacting? Yeah, unfortunately, as I was talking to students and and others last night, you know, some of them said that they figured it was sort of a matter of time until an event like this would hit not just close to home, but at home at their university. So, you know, we know that there were students who were involved in the Oxford shooting who, you know, had to go into that same kind of mode for for this shooting at, at college. Into, into lockdown. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think that a lot of students kind of come up through their their education with a a fear that something like this could happen or a knowledge and awareness that something like this could happen obviously you're all, we're all hoping it doesn't but i i think that fear is justified and you know a lot of students were pretty frustrated with the fact that this hit in east lansing which is a like like you say generally a pretty um, safe community Colin, what sense do you have of the questions that investigators are still trying to are still trying to determine at this stage? Well, the biggest thing right now would be figuring out a motive, um, trying to understand what would drive someone to commit this crime. As Emily pointed out earlier, the shooter appears to have no uh, connection to MSU's campus. Uh, so that's a big question mark in the air. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out the answer to. Yeah. Emily, what sense do you have of what people in East Lansing want to know about this? Obviously, the community was hugely affected, and we now know that the uh, suspect would have had to exit through the community, not just the university, since he was found off campus. But I think that there are some outstanding questions, um, certainly for residents. And um, like Colin said, I think 
motive is going to be key. And also just, you know, I was talking to people about what it would take for them to feel safe going back on campus. MSU is suspended activities and classes. You know, I talked to some students who really said they wouldn't feel safe going back all week at least. And I I think people just want to know sort of that campus is safe and want to see some demonstrable action from the university to to make people feel safe um, or as safe as they can. Mm -hmm. As of right now, um, campus classes are canceled through Monday. University operations are now um, on pause with only essential staff working today and tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And this university really is a center for the community. I saw one of my Facebook connections was at the veterinarian on campus and got caught up in the lockdown as this happened. And, you know, there are movies that show on campus, there are events, there are sporting events. So if you live in East Lansing, you're um, you're on campus pretty frequently and this this affects you, too. Sadly, this is uh, this is not Michigan's first mass shooting that has been experienced, mass shootings involving four or more victims at one location or close by, uh, have have become the stuff of at least monthly news. And I, I cannot help, though, wondering about how the proximity to Lansing in the state's capital is perhaps informing people's feeling about this. And again, the perception that East Lansing was not a place where things like this happened. You know, both of you cover cover Lansing extensively. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think certainly, you know, the state legislature sits roughly three or four miles away from where the shooting happened, um, literally down the same road. You can <laughs> drive that road for three or four miles and you'll end up in front of the, the state capitol. So, you know, this this hits close to home for, for lawmakers, too. And... You know, in the wake of the Oxford shooting, they were discussing gun control bills. Um, Those didn't go anywhere under the Republican majority. And, you know, they have a different paradigm now with Republicans in the minority and Democrats controlling both houses of the legislature. And I think, uh, you know, they canceled session for today. But I think that this has a chance to be a priority in a way that it it hasn't had a chance to be um, in the wake of the Oxford shooting, for instance. But you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see lawmakers, you know, really get to work on on some of this legislation right out of the gate. It was less than a month ago that Governor Whitmer said in her state of the state address that the time for thoughts and prayers are over. So this was already on their agenda, certainly, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's thing number one now. It's worth noting that Governor Gretchen Whitmer, before she was governor, did represent East Lansing in the state Senate. To follow up on what Emily said about the governor's state of the state address, making public safety a large priority within that, uh, later this night, um, we spoke with the House Speaker, Joe Tate, and he also mentioned that was a major priority because he's tired of having conversations um, with parents who lost their children. I'm not sure when they'll come back to Lansing, but I'm guessing at some point very soon they will have some sort of uh, gun legislation. We need to take a break. Back in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College. 
offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. There are mass shootings that happen at a distance in which we feel distraught. We feel wounded, angry even. And then we may turn to pressing concerns in our lives closer to home. This was not the case for anyone in East Lansing, and certainly not for the students working for the State News, the student newspaper from Michigan State University. The State News is more than that, though, as one of the last independent student journalism hubs in the United States. Dan Netter is city desk editor for the State News. We should say he's also a stateside intern. Morgan Womack is the paper's campus desk editor and does double duty as a Michigan Radio digital intern. Dan, Morgan, we are so sorry about what happened, and we're really glad you're with us today. Yeah, hi, April. Uh, Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you for having us. That was quite a night last night. How are you both holding up? Um, We're doing all right. I mean, we've certainly experienced some, some shock, and we're still processing everything but right now just our first our first goal is to just focus on the MSU community and work with them and share their stories so that's kind of our goal right now and that's kind of what's what's keeping us going. Dan can you tell us where you both were while the shooter was on campus? Uh, Yeah so we were uh, in the state news newsroom um, which is uh, along Grand River Um, it's only, I don't know, would you say like a block or so away from the Union, which is where the uh, the shooter was first, I think, confirmed. Yeah. How did you find out this news? I think a lot of people just became aware of it through their social media feeds. Yeah. So we at the State News have a Slack channel. And the first thing I guess that we noted was that there was a lot of police cars outside of one of the buildings on North Campus. So um you know, as reporters, the first thing we do is try to go check it out. Um, and then immediately people just kind of started flooding our newsroom channel saying that they had heard that there were shots fired on campus and just relaying all the information that they could get from whether it be social media, some students lived in the dorm, some people knew people who were on North campus and they just kind of let our newsroom chat know. Then the first thing that Dan and I did was head to the newsroom as soon as we received all of these Slack messages because we wanted to be there for whatever was happening. What kind of information was forthcoming from the university in the those first few minutes and hours? At first, um, we got an email alert from the university saying um, that we should shelter in place um, and that we should uh, hide, run, fight. Yeah. I know that in my feeds, they were just full of like the images of police cars on campus, images of students uh, running. Um, and I, I'm not even an alum of the school, nor do I have nor do I have you know family who are enrolled at MSU. So I can only imagine the kind of messages that you two were getting and and trying to interpret as journalists during all this. What was it like to cover the event as it was unfolding on your own campus? It was all an adrenaline rush at first. Um, I I guess, you know, those initial moments, those first two hours or so, 
Um, I remember everything and I remember nothing. Um, I guess at first it, it really didn't sink in for me that we were in the middle of this. Morgan, what was it like for you? Yeah, so I first, I drove to the parking garage actually right behind the state news building from my house, which was like 10 minute drive. And all I can think about is getting to the newsroom. Um, And when I got out of my car, I kind of looked, I was a few floors up in the parking garage and all I could see were flashing red and blue lights up and down all of Grand River, all of campus. That's all you could see. And, you know, you've seen things happen on campus or police have responded, but never anything to that level. And that's when I knew I was like, this is really a big deal. And so I came to the newsroom and people are in here and we're all weirdly calm. You could sense that everyone was kind of panicked and worried, but I guess our our instinct kicked in of like, we need to be able to relay this information to people. And we had some people listening to police scanners. We had some people calling and texting friends who live on campus. We had some people who were actually on campus who responded in that time to see if they could report on it. And, you know, we're getting a lot of information from a lot of different sources. But one thing I want to emphasize is that every piece of information we put out, we wanted to, we we confirmed it with someone who was on campus. So we made sure to call people who lived in a dorm to see if there was actually something happening, if there was police presence there. We used the police scanner to hear about reports and then we would confirm it. And our biggest thing was like, if we can notify as many people as possible, whether it be through social media or through our stories, that's what we wanted to do because there's a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty that no one was really sure what was going on, where the shooter was, where anything was happening. And everything that we put out was just confirmed information, but it was all moving really quickly and updating very quickly. It it feels like this is such an unprecedented time in human history whereby we can follow events in this way in real time since everyone, you know, a lot of people are just carrying around computers on them that keep them in touch uh, with these details. Had either of you ever experienced reporting anything like this before? I don't I don't I don't think that I can say that we have um, or at least I haven't. Um, Although I guess, you know, you you say that it's unprecedented um, and and that makes me think back to um, just last week. Um, you know, we, we kind of, we convened, you know, the same crisis editorial team, um, because there were reports around the state of Michigan of a possible, uh, threats at various different schools at high schools, including, uh, out in Oak, Oak high school, which is, um, just, just very close by us. Morgan, can you describe what campus looked like early this morning before you left? Yeah, so we were in the newsroom until about 2, 2.30 in the morning, and we had all the blinds shut, um, so we couldn't see too much. But from when we left, it was, of course, not as quiet as it would be at 2.30 in the morning because people were leaving the university, going home. Traffic finally was clearing up as they were 
responding and putting out more new information. And just one thing I remember, I guess, before leaving the newsroom was just the sound of like helicopters above us. And I just felt, and that is still continuing this morning. Like I woke up this morning, Dan and I headed to the newsroom and we are just still seeing and hearing helicopters above. And it just still doesn't feel like a safe place to be. What kinds of resources are available to students right now, Dan? Um, there's, I know that there's um, confidential counseling for students, um, and they can call the number 517-355-8270 and then press 1, um, and they can receive cons- counseling there. Um, I know that uh, as well, uh, uh, crisis counselors will be available at uh, the Hannah Community Center, which is um, East Lansing City Hall, um, and they will be there throughout, uh, I believe, today. Morgan, Dan, can you guys tell us where you are right now? Yeah, so we are currently in the newsroom um, for the state news, which is right across the street from campus across Grand River. Has your editorial team in the newsroom had a chance to talk about what you're going to do next? We do have reporters on campus who are responding to that, and they did lift the shelter in place on campus to say that it is safe for students to go. I know that dining hall hours for people who live in the dorms like have been limited, but they are still available for students. Um, and so they're saying that there's no threat imminent on campus currently. Um, right now, Dan and I are just staying in the newsroom because it's easier for us to communicate with our editorial team and our professional staff here. We have been hearing reports that a number of students have left campus to head home. I know this isn't an option for everybody. I mean, some folks aren't just within a car ride or don't have the money to take a plane to head home. Have you been hearing from students who are leaving and who don't want to come back to campus? Yeah, yeah, we certainly have. Um, Even, you know, some of our own reporters have uh, chosen to travel back to their homes or to their hometowns. I have a handful of friends who have chosen to do that. Yeah. And my mom, the first thing that she said to me when she heard all of this was like, if you want to come home, you can. I just want to hug you. And I think a lot of students are kind of sharing that sentiment that they want to be with their families. I woke up this morning. I I called my parents and first thing that uh, they say to me is like, okay, like, do you want to come home? Do you want us to come to East Lansing? <laughs> like, what, what what are we doing here? Yeah. My mom was like, I'm just a, an hour and a half drive away. If you want a hug, just, just call me anytime. So, It's certainly a fact that everybody who's enrolled as an undergrad at Michigan State right now has come of age at a time when school shootings are a reality. It's I don't mean to overstate their frequency, but they absolutely happen, and they happen more often than any American would wish. Um Do you find that when students talk amongst each other, there was in any way an expectation that someday something like this could happen at a school of MSU size? Um, You know, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I guess that I would say that I don't know if necessarily people have the expectation, but it is definitely an ever present fear. Yeah. I agree. Um, My mom is a public school teacher and my brother is in high school. And anytime I hear about a school shooting threat, I just immediately worry about them and their safety. And, you know, I guess you think that this could happen 
at a university like this with this many people. Um, that's something certainly I've had the fear over thoughts about before. You know, obviously it's not something that you're ever mentally prepared for, but I'm sure it's something we've all probably thought about before. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Vuren. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.